Just sit in the quiet of that moment. You are a truly beautiful God. Life does not always make sense, that's for sure. Bad things happen sometimes and we wonder why. Honestly, good things happen sometimes and we wonder why. But the happenings around us don't change this fact. You are always good. You are always loving. You are always beautiful. Quiet our souls in your presence, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a seat. As you do, the lights are coming up. And you have a card on the inside of your folder. love for you to go ahead and take that, put your name on it, fill out whatever information you think is uh, appropriate. I love the way some of you use this card really well to just keep us in touch with what's going on in your life, prayer requests, just things that are happening. It really helps us to be able to know how to pray with you and just walk with you on the, on the journey that God has given us uh, together as, as we walk through this life uh, as a church family. So I'm going to forget this, and I don't want to. So yesterday morning we had our workout group, and to be honest, I thought about just having a chair up here, maybe a, a, an, a craft, an adjustable bed or something, just to not have to move too much. But, you know, I'm doing all right. But it was a very, very, very crowded room. I mean, it was just plain packed, and that's really cool. We arrived a little late, and so we took advantage of that little uh, space between this room and the other room. And, and while I'm working out, I kept kind of turning over to the left, and I saw this, this beautiful stand that um, Di- Diane and Joe Jacobowski put together that gives us the opportunity to uh, post our prayer requests. I love this. So there are tags back there, and you just go ahead and put a request on that, and then you hang it on the lattice out there. And and what I really love about it is that from time to time, we will find ourselves just walking through that area slowly, looking at the tags, and as we do, reading them and, and praying them to God. So it's yet another way to connect with God in prayer around here. And, and you know, maybe sometimes as you're, as you're with the salmon flowing out the stream on a Sunday morning, it's not real easy to stop. But you might, but you might think about coming back and just stopping and putting a request there. And, and we want you to know they are prayed for. If they're there, they are prayed for. So uh, we are going to embark on a new series today. I am excited about this series. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, many, many years ago now, I tried something that was recommended, and I found it helpful. I, you know, sometimes you only know if something's helpful literally 20 years later. 20 years later, I find that it was very helpful. I received some advice 
to look at my life in terms of my roles. What are my roles in my life? I'm a dad, I'm a pastor, I had a, I had a number of different roles. And so I was to list the roles and then along with the roles, not so much put goals. It wasn't like, you know, I want to make sure this, that, or the other thing happens. But they were kind of more, more big picture in terms of this is the way I'd like to be remembered, this is the way I'd like to be thought of as I leave this life, this is the impression, the impact that I'd like to leave along the way. And I would try almost annually to come back, revisit that, and it would involve some refining along the way, fixing it, changing it, growing with it as I grew. And, and I went from a list of, I think, about, oh, 10 roles to now I've got it, I've got it kind of down to four. It's just, it's just kind of slowly but surely melded down to four. And, and it's four little phrases, easy for me to remember because I need quick, easy handles that I don't forget too easily. So, so they go like this. Live well, love well, lead well, leave well. Live well, love well, lead well, leave well. And I try to live by that. Try to take maybe one of those and emphasize it for a month or just kind of use that to think about the way life is going. Live well is fairly obvious. I am a child of God. And I want to make sure that as a child of God, I'm living faithfully. I'm living in such a way that, that ultimately I hear that well done, good and faithful servant. And so I want to live well. Loving well involves my relationships, obviously. I want to make sure that I'm loving my wife, my family, uh, the people I come in contact in a way that expresses that idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's important to me. Lead well, God's given me some leadership roles. He's given me a leadership role in a church. He's given me a leadership role in my family. He's given me leadership roles in life, and I want to make sure that I'm a person that if I've been given a leadership responsibility, I, I'm leading well in that particular area. And leading well doesn't mean barking out commandments and making sure everybody does it my way, but really providing loving, serving, servant leadership that, that, that draws people along as we go in a particular direction. And then comes leave well. And I don't morbidly all the time think about my death or something like that. But here's the reality of life for all of us. When we were born, we stepped into a stream that was already flowing. And someday we will take our foot out of that stream and the stream will continue to flow. And we get a period of time in which we get to be a part of what's going on in this life and make an impact in what's going on in this life. And then we're gone. And so I want to make sure whether it's on a daily basis, the things I'm affecting daily, I can come to the end of a a day and say, did I leave what I touched in in a good state today? Or ultimately, at the end of my life, did I leave this life well? You know, my parents had a statement, and I'm sure yours did too. Maybe you even use it yourself. Leave it better than you found it. Whatever you found, leave it better than you found it. And I want to make sure along the way that that's what's happening in my life, that I'm leaving it better than I found it. So... As we move into this new year, I thought it would be fun to focus on that first one, live well. What does it mean for us to live well? I don't, I don't want to just talk in terms of, you know, here are the three little keys to a good life or something like that. I think, I think really living well is, is so much deeper. It's so much more profound. And it comes down to this idea, am I constantly living out a life of wisdom? Am I living out the path that God has laid out for us in his word? Am I pursuing wisdom? And so we're going to look at what it means to live wisely, living well along the path of this life. Now, a while back, Brian had me preview some material for him that he was hoping to use for youth group, and I'm glad he did because, uh, you know, who knows what heretic he might be following, and it's good for me to know what, what he's, you know, what, what the goofy thing he's got going or whatever, and so, so he says, I want you to look at this, I want, you to, I want you to see it, see what you think, and I'm watching, and I'm like, 
holy cow, this stuff's really good. This is really good. It's too bad he found it first. And so he's using it for group and, and whatever, and, and I just finally kind of got real humble and came to him and said, do you mind if I steal what you're using? Because this stuff is really, really good. It's really worth pursuing. So, so here's what we're going to be doing. The, if you're going to live well, that involves wisdom. And God gave us a section of the Bible called, by Jewish people, the writings. And the writings involve wisdom literature. God gave us wisdom literature and basically said, this is the way life usually works. This is the way life works when you're pursuing God's path. And so we're going to look this week at the book of Proverbs. We're going to look next week at the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to look the week after at the book of Job. We are not going to do it verse by verse, and we're not going to cover every verse. I think you get an idea there, right? The good thing about being around a place for 21 years is that sometimes you can dig into something deeply, and other times you can say, we're just going to do an overview. You need an overview of what's going on here. So we're going to do an overview today of the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be using, in part, a couple of really good tools that Brian found, not me, and that are well worth us watching and listening to. I thought, you know, I could just go ahead and kind of adopt this and, and speak it out the way they did, but this is just, this is too good to pass up. And part of, for me, part of leaving well is making sure that you are well-resourced so that you're able to study the Bible on your own. There are some fantastic resources out there, and we want you to be able to pursue them. So this, this, uh, this material is put together by a group called The Bible Project. And they've done something literally on every book in the Bible. Now, let me just say up front, anytime I recommend something, I have not watched, looked at everything they've done, all right? So whenever you endorse something, you're always in the scary spot that somewhere along the way they might say something that y'all pick up and go, well, do you believe in this? There's only one person I believe completely, and that's the God of heaven, okay? Everybody else gets it right sometimes and totally misses other times. But on this particular stuff, on the wisdom literature, they've got this thing down. So why don't you go ahead and watch this introduction to the book of Proverbs with me, and really this introduction to these three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective. And it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, 
and it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them. Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of Proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And Chokmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success, and no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is really beautiful. But if we take a step back, some people would argue it's a little too simplistic because sometimes horrible things happen to really wise people, and sometimes foolish people get rewarded. It doesn't always work the way we think it should work. That's right, which is why we need to go and listen to our next wise friend, Ecclesiastes the Critic, because he's wrestled with that very problem, and he's going to push us further in our journey to find the good life. So we're going to do a quiz real quickly on Proverbs. True or false? You're going to shout out the answer as loudly as you can. And um, this is not like Miss Shelley Papp's math class over at Manuka Junior High. You're allowed to cheat. So if you need to kind of bump your neighbor and say, I don't know the answer, help me, feel free. Uh, we also gave you some cheats in that video. So, so let me give you the, the first question. A proverb is poetry. True or false? Just say it out loud. Well, it's true. Sorry. A proverb is poetry, not poetry like English poetry. Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. It's not that kind of thing. Oh, you're feeling so loved. No, um, 
It's a different kind of poetry. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme in sound. It rhymes in idea. The ideas play off each other. So you'll see a verse like, it'll use the word wisdom, and then it'll use the word knowledge. It's not like he's coming up with two different ideas. He's using them as, as rhymes, one, two different ways of saying the same thing. So, so it is a form of poetry. We're off to a fantastic start. Okay, number two, a proverb is a promise. True or false? Give us the answer, Vanna. It is false. A proverb is not a promise. And this is where some people get a little bit hung up when they read Proverbs. One of the verses that a lot of Christian families and parents like to claim is, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right? We love that verse. And it seems to imply, if I raise my kids biblically, perfectly, wonderfully, my kids will turn out biblical, perfect, and wonderful. It'll all work out okay. And the fact is, there are some people that have done a fantastic job raising their kids, and their kids have wandered off the moral path. And to be honest, I've known some people, I talked to somebody not too long ago, who was raised in a, in a pretty secular, pretty God-less home. There was no God in their home, and now they are in a deeply loving relationship with God. Proverbs basically say this. This is the way life normally works. Normally, this is the way it works out. This is the way it happens. But sometimes it doesn't. And that's why we have Ecclesiastes and Job. Ecclesiastes and Job are the piece of wisdom that say, and sometimes it doesn't. Okay, so does that make sense? We don't claim them as promises. We might say the more, they're the probabilities. If you live a wise life, this is what a wise life looks like. This is the result. The third one, bring it over, it's too small for me to read. Thank you. The entire book of Proverbs is composed of short wisdom statements. True or false? Give us the answer there. The answer is false. And So here's the thing. As you read through the book, it's a, little, it's a little bit divided. You've got the first nine chapters that are this flowing, wonder, wonderful conversation between a father and his son. You have Solomon, King Solomon, giving wisdom to his son. Now the question is, is the son a literal son or a figurative son? Who cares? The bottom line is, he's as a wise, older man relaying wisdom to people who are willing to listen. They're willing to listen. And so, and so he begins by talking about the difference between wisdom and foolishness. And he, and he lays them both out as women. And one woman that you want to pursue and one woman that you want to avoid because she stands on a street corner and her name is foolishness. And so you want to watch out for those two things along the way. So you'll see that the first nine chapters are kind of this flowing sort of conversation, a lecture, a a letter to a child, and then we get into those short, pithy statements, one after another after another, that give us ideas of how what to do with money and relationships and all kinds of things along the way. Next one, all the Proverbs were written by Solomon. True or false? Oh, good answer. You read the book. Right. Most of them are written by Solomon. But chapter 30 is written by a man named Agur, and chapter 31 is written by King Lemuel. Which, ironically, I mean, Solomon's the one with the thousand wives and concubines. You'd think he'd understand and write a great chapter on women. We left that to Lemuel instead. And he does a beautiful job describing what it means to be a virtuous woman. The next one. All the Proverbs were written by Solomon. Didn't we just do that one? I'm so confused. 
Keep going. Uh, let's see. All the Proverbs Solomon composed are found in the book of Proverbs. False. He wrote a lot more than what we find in the book. A lot, lot more than what we find in the book. These are the ones that God chose to be uh, sacred scripture to us that we are to follow and listen to and obey. So, okay, you can go now just to the, to the main slide and leave that up there. Fantastic. A couple of terms you need to understand if you're going to understand the book of Proverbs. You need to understand the word wisdom. And they did a nice job starting, you know, in terms of the Hebrew word chokmah and that sort of thing. Here's the way to understand wisdom. Knowledge is not wisdom, but knowledge is important in order to be wise. Knowledge is what you learn in a classroom. Knowledge is what you get out of a book. Two plus two is four is knowledge. It's good that you know that. There are lots of things that we're supposed to know. We have this bag of knowledge, bag of information. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the information. So the the example I like to use, knowledge. Rain is wet. Anybody want to argue that? No, we agree. Rain is wet. Wisdom, get out of the rain. What are you doing standing in the rain? Get out of the rain. Wisdom says, I have this knowledge, I need to do something with it, and so I act on what I know. That's wisdom. And what's ironic, in our times, we have more information at our fingertips than ever, and we live less wisely than ever. We don't know what to do with what we have. The move to wisdom is not to just be able to, as an encyclopedia, recite everything you know. It's to live what you know to live the Bible, not just to know the Bible. So then the other word you need to understand is fool or foolishness, which is clearly the opposite of wisdom. And what we need to understand about the fool or foolishness is they come in two forms. One is the fool who has tremendous knowledge and does the opposite of the knowledge. How many people have you known, or maybe you find yourself in that boat, you know the right thing to do, but you just do whatever you want. That's foolishness. The Bible calls it that. That's foolishness. The other kind of fool is the person who has no knowledge but just goes ahead and acts like they do. And there, there are a lot of people like that too, right? They just plow ahead. They don't have a clue. But <laughs> Drive. Let's go. Let's see what happens. No, you want to get a clue before you take a move. So it's important. If, you, if you're not wanting to be a fool, if you want to be wise, you need some knowledge, but you need to know what to do with the knowledge, which is one of the reasons we rely on people who are older than us, because they've been around the block a couple times. And they can give you an idea, much like Solomon, that generally... This is the way life works. Last one, fear of the Lord. You've got to understand the fear of the Lord. So that one causes a lot of people confusion because they go, uh, wait a second, I thought perfect love casts out fear. And, and why in the world should I be afraid of God? I, I want a loving relationship with God. I don't want to be afraid of God. Let me give you an example from my own life. <clears throat> so this past week, I went down to the canal, took my walk, prayed. And as I come back, now I, I start my walk over there at the Augsable Locks, and I'm coming back and I'm coming down Cemetery Road, which is always kind of an interesting road in itself to drive down. Driving down, there are no posted uh, speed limits anywhere on that road. And I always kind of wonder, what's the speed limit on this road? I have no idea. I really don't. So with some of you, I know someone out there, go ahead and shout it out. Yeah, of course, it's 55, right. And I've seen people drive 55, and I've seen people drive 25. I've seen it all over the place, you know, just all. So typically, I'm driving back from praying, and so I just kind of take my time. So I drive 35. 
I'm just driving down the road, being quiet, doing my thing, and I'm driving, I'm driving, and, and just kind of being peaceful. And as I go by this one driveway, there's my friend, the Grundy County Sheriff, in his expedition, and there's a sign on the side, and I go, no problem, I'm driving 35. And so I am just keep driving along, and what does he do? Well, he pulls out, and he starts to follow me up Cemetery Road, which being followed by a cop on Cemetery Road is, you know, ghoulish. But anyway, so you're, you're driving along, and as I'm driving along, I'm going, hmm, I wonder if it is 35. I wonder if I can get in trouble for driving too slow on Cemetery Road. I wonder this, I wonder that. I wonder if I'm going too fast. Maybe it's 25. What should I do? Oh, no, maybe I should just pull off here and pretend that I'm not driving. What should I do? So... <laughs> So I'm like, well, I know what I'll do. I'll cut off on Hansel. That'll trick him. So I go up onto Hansel. Hansel is posted, 25. Don't you dare go 26. So I'm going past Dollinger Farm. What does he do? He follows me. I'm like, okay, he's running my plate. I'm in trouble. I'm busted. He's going to catch the junk I have in the back of the car. Oh, no. I'm in big trouble now, all this kind of stuff. So, so I'm driving along, and, and, and I come up the hill on Hansel, and, and I come to this upper part of Hansel. They've jacked that up to 35. Thank the Lord in heaven. So now I'm going 35 again. He's still following me. We come to the subdivision. It goes back to 25. I am religiously going 25 miles an hour. I come to that that newer part of 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 of, um oh what's your subdivision thank you hunter's crossing i come to the newer part of hunter's crossing i turn in and he keeps driving i go (sighs) relief that is the fear of the lord I was very aware of all the rules because i was aware of the presence of the person who could get me in trouble for not following the rules I was very aware of the rules because he knew the rules and I didn't even know the rules. You see, the fear of the Lord is not so much that I quake. In fact, I felt pretty good driving because I'm like, I'm going 35. What can be wrong with that? Okay? But the fear of the Lord is a constant awareness that God is. And he's a part of my life. And I want to do what pleases him. So I'm living with a constant awareness of his presence by me, near me, around me. And sadly, I think we live in a, in, in a time that a lot of people live with a fear of nothing. Parent, police, God. And it's evidenced by, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. As opposed to, there's someone else that wants me to live a certain way, and I'm going to live that way. So, hopefully that helps you. 55, Cemetery Road. Now we know. All right. So let me give you the next section. This part, I love this. Some of you will get into this more than others. In fact, some of you will just be like a Twitter. All right? You're going to go nuts. These guys are going to go ahead now and break down the book for us so that we know the way the book works. Start to finish all the pieces, what it's all about. It's about eight minutes. Buckle up. Let's go. The book of Proverbs. The word proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom, and this book has a lot of those. But they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well. 
And so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now, wisdom for most of us means knowledge, but the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also. So think skill or applied knowledge. This is why back in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, it was artists and craftsmen in Israel who were said to have chokhmah. So the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in God's world. And this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now, fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. Now, this introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are ten speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. And the father warns his son also about folly and evil and stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now, these speeches from the father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, but wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. And so, through the book of Proverbs now, these human words about wisdom have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people, which connects to the other thing you find in chapters 1 through 9. There are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe, and so wherever you see people making wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice, they are drawing on wisdom. These Lady Wisdom poems, they're a creative, poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. 
Now, together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice. You're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. And so in the next section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient proverbs, and they apply wisdom and the fear of the Lord to every life topic you could imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt— everything. And these are all filtered through the value system of Proverbs 1 through 9. Now, these Proverbs, they're all pretty short. They're easy to memorize. And actually, this section of the book is meant to become a reference work that you return to time and time again throughout the years, which raises some important issues in learning how to read these Proverbs. First of all, Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear the Lord and you make wise, good choices things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish, your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that Proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some Proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Or, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life. And raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well. But there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, Proverbs by nature focus on the general rule, but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. This all leads to the final section of the book, two large collections of poems. First, poems from a man named Agur, who begins by acknowledging his own ignorance and folly and his great need for God's wisdom. And then Agur discovers that divine wisdom has been given to him in the scriptures, which teach him how to live well. And so Agur is put before us as like a model reader of the book of Proverbs, somebody who's always open to hearing God's wisdom through the scriptures. The final poems are connected to a man named Lemuel. He's a non-Israelite king, and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. It's guidance for being a wise and just leader. And then the final poem is an acrostic or an alphabet poem where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire poem is about the woman of noble character. It depicts a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs and stands like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom and then translates it into practical decisions in everyday life, at work or at home, in her family and in her community. So the book opened with words from a father to a son about listening to Lady Wisdom. And so now the book closes by offering the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. The book of Proverbs is for every person in every season of life. It's a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. <clears throat> a couple of you are tense because you love that. You're like, where can I find that? I'm not telling you. No. Um, 
you already received an email at 9 o'clock. Go ahead and put this up, Sherry. It, um, what I'd like to do is uh, read the book of Proverbs together. All right? And uh, we're not going to do Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, because, I mean, that would be like way too much reading for three weeks. We're just going to do Proverbs. And uh, this is a version uh, Bible reading plan, Bible.com. You also, some of you own paper Bibles, and you're free to use that. Um, <laughs> but here's what's cool about this plan. It's 32 days long. Now, there are only 31 chapters in Proverbs. You're like, what's going on there? The first day <clears throat> is the intro video that we saw today. And the second day is this video. So for two days, you get to go ahead and review what we, what we talked about. And then on Tuesday, we'll start with chapter one. We'll start reading and we'll go through. Day, day, one, one chapter a day until we're done. I want to encourage you to try some different things with this. Maybe you'll try reading it together with your family at dinner if you do dinner sitting. You'll just say, let's, let's go through one verse at a time and read this. Maybe you'll just find a friend, your spouse, whatever, and you read a verse, they read a verse, up and back, and uh, take some time between each, maybe to just be quiet, think about it, maybe even talk about it. Maybe you don't get all the way through, you start talking about something along the way. But um, I think you will find uh, that the wisdom found in Proverbs is incredible. It's incredible. But uh, it needs to be accessed. So let's jump on this together. Um, I restarted again today. Some of you saw I started like two days ago and then I dumped it and you're like, oh, he doesn't like the Bible. No, I really do. I just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. So, so we're all starting together. And, uh, and like I said, you get this little head start. You get the two videos. Each day they do a little devotional that goes along with it. I think the, the thing is actually called the wisdom of Proverbs. Please understand on, on uh, Bible.com, you'll find a number of Proverbs reading plans. So you want the one called the wisdom of Proverbs. If you click on the red box, you'll go there. If you click on the red word, you'll go there. If you click on the red word here, you'll go there. If you click on the word Proverbs, you'll go there. You pretty much click anywhere and it's going to take you to the plan. All right? So not too tough, but let's try doing this together. Now here's what I'd like to do. We're going to move into communion. And I thought, what better to do than to just take some moments to listen to some of the words of Proverbs. So Brian's going to read the first seven verses, and we're going to settle in with that, be quiet for a moment, and then we'll move to one of the four stations around the room and enjoy just thinking about what Christ has done for us. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So for our next quiet moment, I'd like you to just go ahead and have a little conversation with God and make a commitment. God, I want to grow in wisdom this year. I want to grow in wisdom. I'm willing to open your book and read what it has to say. I'm willing to take the things I know and actually turn them into things that I do. Have that conversation with God right now, and then we'll move to communion when the music starts.
great unknown where feet may fail. There I find you in the mystery, an ocean's deep. My faith will stand. The open water to which God may be calling you is to live a life of wisdom. And that's going to be scary, but it's going to be good. Our servers are going to come at this time to receive the morning offering. I have a couple things to share with you, and then I've got to get in the end of the sermon in the final three minutes. So, <clears throat> if you received a folder today, down the center, gives you all the details that we're talking about in terms of adding some space on around here. I'm not going to reread it, give you the chance to go ahead and read that, absorb it, and we'll continue to talk about it through the month of January. Uh, our kids are going to be headed off to Arctic Blast this weekend. These are the high schoolers. Junior high will be doing the week to follow. Lake Geneva, they need to be at church Friday at 5.15, and vehicles leave at 5.30. So you're here at 5.31? Well, it's a youth group, so they'll probably be here. But um, <laughs> at 5.32, they'll be gone, all right? So they also need to fill out this form, Lake Geneva Youth Camp. This is all the life and limb and all that stuff that you need to be willing to give them. So anyway, make sure you have that form filled out. All right. So talk to the beginning about live well, love well, lead well, leave well. What does leave well look like for me? I walked into the, um, the stream of Southfield in 1995, and believe it or not, someday that will come to an end. Not today, tomorrow, next year, or whatever. Don't worry about that, blah, blah, blah. But um, someday my feet will leave. And I kind of look and I go, what impact would I like to have seen happen in this place uh, after you know a couple decades of, of being with these people? And one of the things that I'm very hopeful is that you will have graduated from this to this. You know, this is very important. So all of us, we have three kids. We all did it. We had the little, the little mini spoon with the rubber end so that if they bit the metal, it didn't drive you crazy. And we'd take that Gerber slop and spoon it up and do the old, do everything you could to try to tempt your kid to eat squash. You know, and, and you're trying and you're trying and trying and doing all that. You'd use the spoon. But eventually they wanted to toy with these. Not the sharp one quite yet, but they wanted to toy with these. And so we let them. We had Christmas dinner. If any of my my 27, my 24, almost 25-year-old, or my 19-year-old would have said, Daddy, please, I'd feed me the turkey. I'd have said, you are out of your mind. Are you kidding me? Grab your fork, grab your knife, eat. Are you kidding me? Sunday can be a lot like this, you know? But you need to learn how to use these. So you sit here and wonder, why do we watch a video in church? Because these resources are out there, and you can do that. Why are we doing a reading plan together? Because that's the food, and you need to use these to get at them and start eating. So I did this illustration a number of years ago, and people loved it so much, it's time to bring it back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a sermon. During the week and throughout the accumulation of my life, I've been having a great time reading Bible verses. I've been going to classes, studying theology. Let's just pretend that Oreos have tremendous nutritional value. The value of kale. Nutritious and delicious. Wonderful. 
All that would make it better is milk. Oh, wait. Mmm, milk. My favorite. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Oh, one more. Mmm, mmm, mmm. That is good. Sunday comes. It's sermon time. Are you ready for your sermon? There you go. Graham. Nutritious and delicious. Have at it. I mean, I've eaten. No, seriously. Eat it. It's a sermon. It's supposed to be good for you. Nutritious and do okay, forget it. Your sister will take it. Where'd she go? There you go. No? All right, forget it. <clears throat> That's what a sermon looks like. You're like, well, why do we pay you? Um, <laughs> That's a great question. Hey, it still tastes good. There's still good stuff in there. But I did all the chewing. And I swallowed all the cream part, because I like that. I left you the brown. That's a sermon. It's not a bad thing. But God wants you to grab the cookies yourself and eat them. God wants you to grab the packet in your own milk. And he wants you to be able to enjoy it. Are you sick of looking at that? Tough, I'm leaving it there. Because I want it to sink in. It's fork time. So grab the fork and start eating. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes you're going to miss your mouth. Sometimes you're going to drop on the floor. Oh, well. Eat. Eat. God wants to do it. I need some milk, man. (laughs) I I learned, you know, I think I did this about 15 years ago, and I forgot milk that time. Mm. So I do learn some things along the way. But anyway. So how do you close a service where the pastor's puked Oreo? You stand and pray. Let's stand. <clears throat> now, God in heaven, we're going to leave this place, and you have given us valuable tools to be able to learn your word for ourselves. Help us to dig in. We cannot eat the cookies of the word of God if we don't grab the package and pull them off the shelf, open them up, and put them in our mouths. And so I pray that you will help us to open the package of your word dig into all the wonderful things that are there, the kale and the Oreos. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you are able to enjoy your week. See ya. (laughs) 